1: Last rock, eighth end, up by two.
0: I don't think I'm. I don't think I'm white. I don't think you are either. Oh, oh, it's clean.
2: Don't, don't oh. kill it, Ben. Don't, don't kill it. Line's really good. Line right on the button, guys. Right last here, guys. stone for
3: Kevin Martin. They want it on the button. The sweepers are watching it. Fans are on their feet. Kevin Martin goes out. Right? as a champion cuts him to one he will win his final grand slam taking the players championship talk about putting an exclamation mark at the end of a career
2: all he had to do was cut him down kevin martin can celebrate
4: he is a champion
1: Hi again, everybody. Jungle Jim Jerome coming at you with a special edition of Inside Curling. This is a series of interviews that Kevin did, uh, including Tabitha Peterson, Eve Muirhead, Jennifer Jones. And the last one you did, Kev, a bit of a curler, kicking up some dust over the last couple of <laughs> years, is with Bruce Mowat. Uh, he's got lots to say. Uh, you said he may be one of the guys down the road that'll take the bull by the horns to get the players, as we say, a, a place at the table. But he had many, many things to say. Check this out.
0: Well, Bruce, thank you very much for uh, for doing this. Appreciate it. Congratulations on the Olympic silver, first of all. Well, it was a wonderful event. And from your point of view, tell me about the Olympic Games, how much fun it was for you, both in the men's but also in the mixed doubles.
4: Yeah, I mean, the Olympics was... A whole different experience uh, to anything else i had ever experienced in curling so just the media attention on top of everything else was just very exciting so many good opportunities on the back uh, of the Olympic success and yeah it's just been a lot of fun and the Olympics itself the mixed doubles was obviously disappointing for us finishing fourth and being so close to that medal but I really do think it benefited me going into the men's event like knew the ice knew what to expect from all the extra attention we were getting from media and I really do think it just settled my nerves going into that men's event and played really well throughout the round robin and really good games in both the semi and the final So okay
0: I didn't expect that so playing the mixed doubles didn't tire you out as much
2: as prepared you better well I guess that was your first Olympics too it was yeah and I I do think that for me personally I think oh like I'm very lucky that I don't
4: have to sweep in the men's game after the mixed doubles I would probably been pretty tired after that but getting to skip the men's team after sweeping for the mixed doubles it did kind of you know help me understand what I was seeing from Jen and like the, the mixed doubles, like I was seeing the lines, I was seeing the the rock kind of move and sweeping and all that kind of stuff. So it really did help me kind of settle that nerves and be able to throw the stone to the sweepers for the boys. And as I say, I think it really did help me into that men's event and, you know, I played pretty well, so I was pretty chuffed. (laughs) Yeah, you did play pretty well. Um,
0: Going forward, I guess I'd like to ask you about the four person game and mixed doubles. Like you're awfully good at both. Um, are you going to continue to do both? Is it, pos- is it possible to do both? I guess it's probably the best question to ask, both on a fatigue, a body health, a mental, because it's travel... I got on so many fronts
4: yeah I, I do hope that um, I'm able to still continue doing both um, I want to continue doing both as well uh, for me like physically I felt pretty good uh, coming off the back of the mixed doubles even if I wasn't to play another event I, was, I felt pretty good obviously it was mentally fatiguing being at the, at the Olympics and finishing fourth that was probably the worst part of it but physically I felt pretty strong and you
2: know next season I don't know what's to come but if I do get the opportunity I will be trying to play both events so is it your decision to to play? Uh, I want to get
0: into like maybe the Scottish system mm-hmm. or Great Britain system as to playing both mixed doubles and four person curling. Is that a Bruce Mount call? Is it you and Jennifer? How, how, how do you decide these
4: things? Yeah, I think me and Jen will have a conversation about it and decide if we want to put our names forward for that sort of a thing. And it, I feel that British Curling would definitely hear us out. Uh, if we wanted to play that, then they would, they would listen to us and they would probably give us the opportunity. Um, it's something that we've not had to do previously because, you know, we were concentrating so much on the men's and the women's games so you know we're going into a bit of unknown territory and I'm quite excited to see what British curling will allow us to do so we'll definitely be asking to well I will be and hopefully Jen's on the same page uh, that we'll be able to play both.
0: Yeah so let's let's get into a little bit of that because uh, it's interesting we've been talking to lots of different countries Mm. uh, and the answers are all different (laughs) to, to how the program works in each individual country so for is
2: the uh, the British system working on a four-year term, basically, or is it year by year?: So I guess we kind of look at it as a four-year cycle. Uh, I know that the kind of s-
4: cycle is like how our funding is based, so uh, we get funding for the four-year cycle, uh, so really, we kind of follow that same system. Each year, we'll obviously try and adapt to things that we may be trying to change for the next year, but generally we'll look to the four-year cycles. Okay, so um,
0: the funding model that's used is for the team. So it's each individual
2: or is it understood as a team as far as the four-year funding of the athletes? So uh, we're all individually funded and then we basically got put into teams.
4: Like the guys and I, the, the team I'm in right now, we put ourselves together in 2017 before this all came about. So every year we get the phone call saying you've been selected for British Curling. We don't necessarily know who we're playing with, but you know... We've had a lot of success, so you would be
2: surprised. Say, like, well, this is no
4: time to maybe separate
0: the <laughs> yeah. hammy and Lammy
2: yeah, They, they exactly. sweep pretty
0: good together, those they two. They have, yeah. Right,
2: right. And I hope I'm still in that team as well. <laughs> like, okay. How about, how about, okay, let's go one step further and into sponsorship. Mm-hmm. So this
0: is definitely a different business model than I was part of back in the day when I was playing. And Canadian teams, this is a little different. But as far as sponsorship goes, do you sell it? Are you involved in that
2: or your your team or is that more of a agency that helps with the entire program? No, it's all done on an individual team basis. Uh, So we all look for
4: our own sponsors. So obviously, like, Grant's uh, family sponsor, our main sponsor. Uh, So they get the front spot. So that's obviously us sourcing them. Like, they don't go through British Curling to sponsor us. We all do it as a team. Like, we're one unit, I guess. And we're all trying to find these sources of sponsorship. So we would bring them to the team. We're not individually sponsored. Um, I know, like, other teams in British Curling have done that before. But as of right now, the guys and I have, Every time we bring a sponsor in, it's for the four of us.
0: Yeah, and you just pool that money together.
2: A lot of your expenses when you go all over the world, that's covered by uh, British Curling? So yeah, British Curling are basically our biggest sponsor. Um, That's like who would, you know,
4: they're probably the outrank any other sponsor in any of the Scottish or British teams by a country mile because they pay for our flights, our accommodation, and most entry fees, like they're, very generous to us like obviously that's where the main funding comes from and it's national national lottery funding that they get from uk sport so that's how like and that's how you're paid as well yeah so we're paid by uk sport which is another organization so it's you know there's a few organizations that we deal with because we also have the scottish institute of sport so there's three kind of big companies there so we're pretty fortunate that we we get to work with all of them but british curling is who we sit under Okay. And
0: then you bring in sponsorship money. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how much, like we don't need to know that. Yeah. And then, um, but that's
2: good. Mm-hmm. And then prize money does a portion go back no so as of right now we're uh keeping 100% of our prize money uh, so each oh, okay. team in British curling keeps that
4: could be changing who knows really i it's uh like i don't really know what the
2: the current situation is but yeah you haven't um, had, you haven't got the phone call yet exactly yeah, yeah. i'm just scared for that moment <laughs> yeah. but <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Okay. hope the phone rings yeah. yeah
2: i think i think it's going to ring i think you're
0: okay <laughs> um schedule let's talk about schedule we talked a little bit about um uh, the amount of games mixed doubles and, and men's, or in Jennifer's case, uh, mixed doubles and, and, and the women's game. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I've been thinking about, and we talk a lot about it on our podcast and we talk a lot about it outside of that as well. And that's um, in Canada, you've got the Canada Cup, Ryer and Scotties and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And in World Curling Federation, they've got Europeans and they've got worlds and, and that kind of stuff. And and the Grand Slams, of course, it's the best of the best. It's the only way you get in a slam is if you're the top if it's sixteen teams, sixteen, and but it doesn't really matter that way if there's nine from one country because it's just the best of the best, period. Exactly, yeah. And then the worlds, you tend to have your top five or six that really have an, a really good shot at winning the championship, mm-hmm. and then other teams that are improving and getting better, and that kind of thing, which is great. Yeah, I believe there has to be some middle ground, like a World Cup, not like it was before. That that I don't think that was the model that is in didn't my work brain as well. No, no, it, I just don't. I didn't understand it, but. But a, a World Cup where top countries like men's curling in, in Scotland, you've got yourselves and Ross and and Ross, three teams that are really good. Yeah. So those two or three of those teams would be in the World Cup. Mm-hmm. Um, other countries may only have one really super good team. Yeah. Uh, say uh, Retornaz. Yeah. Not a lot of depth in Italy, but that team. And then you've got uh, say South Korea, women, three.
4: They've got really good. Teams. Really good right, teams,
0: yeah. and uh, and so on. So then when you get to this World Cup. Many countries are represented, but not just one team. And then those events, I think, would be great training ground for people like a Ross White, who's really good but just young and getting mm-hmm. going. Um, but then also a good place for teams like yourself and Nicodine and and uh, Brad Guju and so on to battle it out. Yeah, your thoughts on that type of situation? Because I, I want to add to it after I get your thoughts on a growth of an event like that in the world of curling.
4: Yeah, I think that would be really interesting. Actually, I think the it would take a lot of kind of the pressure off each individual team like in scotland we're obviously all battling to represent scotland and there's only one team that's going to get to go but you know if there was a a competition that like a world cup that you're kind of suggesting that had like you know the best sort of 20 teams which could have what five canadian or three scottish whatever yeah like a bunch of other teams that don't necessarily have to battle with just getting out of their country, they can then come in and actually compete at a world stage against what is or should be the world's best teams.
0: Yeah, so I, I'm just thinking that the young up and coming. Well, you're young enough, but you're already there. <laughs> but but team like you, a few years ago, trying to get up there and get into the upper echelon of, of the sport, mm-hmm. it would be quicker. I think the the ascent would be quicker, and I think that that's a good idea. The negative side, maybe, and this is what I want to hear from you as well, is on the on the health side. So. Now you're going to be playing in the six grand slams. You're going to play in the Europeans. You're going to play in tour events that are really good around Europe mm-hmm. and X amount of world cup events before you go to worlds <laughs> and, and, yeah. and I'm just, and, and then, oh, your mixed double stuff. I just wonder how, how much can a person play period um, without hurting themselves and are
2: we really hurting our top athletes longevity of their career? And does that matter? Should we have a forty year old curler? Yeah, I think like the schedule's obviously getting busier and busier, and the
4: season's getting longer and longer It's obviously down to each team what they want to do and how long they actually want to compete for in that season. But you know we've got the Champions Cup, which now is the first weekend in May, so that's you know making the season even longer for teams but I think it comes down to each individual team and what they actually want to be doing. If they want to play all six slams, if they want to play as many World Cups and like all the World Championships and stuff, then let them do it. If they think that their bodies can hold up to that, then try it. But you know, you also need rest and recovery, and I'm a great believer in that. I think like mental health as well. Like it comes with that relaxation time. So I I wouldn't put myself forward for playing every weekend. I don't think that would be good for my abilities either I think I I really need to go home and start to t- think about what I want to work on I think like making the season like jam-packed would be it would be fine if teams want to do it but personally I wouldn't want to be competing every weekend
0: you make a good point so you, so it can be jam-packed yeah but you may only play you decide you and your team decide we're gonna play 16 weeks this year that's it yeah so you pick your 16 weeks
4: that's it yeah, I think like if they've got a lot of curling events and a lot of um, people get to watch curling, then that's a good thing. It's not going to be um, like, I'm not going to be against them holding events um, because I do want curling to grow. So I, it does come down to each individual team what they want to do. And I would be at like four teams playing every weekend if that's what they want to do. But How about rest? Let's talk about that. It was really important for
0: back when I played to have a couple of weeks of nothing than a certain amount of body balancing. Bodybuilding, practice curl. How do you run your summer, your your, your off season uh, to not because curling is a very lopsided sport. You're always building one side of the body
2: more than the other. Yeah. So how do you manage to fix that, I guess, or deal with that in your off season? Well, I we put a lot of work in in the gyms on the off season. I'm, I'm not going to
4: uh, go onto the ice probably until uh, late July, maybe even August. So I'll, I'll get like two or three months off, and then I'm just going to try and uh, maintain my kind of muscle mass and keep the kind of you know strength in my legs for being able to slide Luckily, I don't do a lot of sweeping, don't play in a lot of mixed doubles events, just the, the kind of major ones that we have back home the Scottish, and uh, we're lucky enough to play the Olympics, but you know, I'm going to try and continue to build uh, strength and I'm not going to let that just kind of go away, I'm probably going to take maybe two or three complete weeks off of curling and not go to the gym and just kind of try and get a nice holiday but yeah, we'll definitely continue going to the gyms and, um, looking after ourselves. One thing I'd like you to touch on is, is the
0: body balancing part. Mm-hmm. Um, we we'll talked to a lot of, now you're a skip, so it's a little bit different. Um, not so much because you're pushing out of one hack, you're pushing with one leg overextending that, that hip a lot. Mm-hmm. And then the other one, of course, you're, you're slamming down into your, into your slide position and those are separate moves on only on one side. And the sweepers like somebody like Bob here, um, or, or uh, sweeping one arm down all the time, yep. building one lat mm-hmm.
2: way bigger than the other. Yeah. So I guess for, for the young curlers listening to this, how long does it take you to body balance before you can start to build? Well, I guess doing like full body movements is probably
4: the best way to go about it because you're training both sides of your body. We also have tried things where we've like swapped arms to sweep and sweep sessions Uh, so you have like one arm down then you try and with the other hand and you know it's quite funny like a lot of people can't do it. I personally couldn't do it for like my one side was a lot stronger than the other side as a curler is but um, you know try and like not just ignore that other side like actually work on it and maybe become a bit ambidextrous. Huh.
0: Okay, okay, we, we got to get into that. because <laughs> So I, I, I teach a lot of schools, mm-hmm. and we tell the young people that we teach, please learn to go both ways so you can be closed on both sides. Yeah. And, of course, they're always better on one side than the other. Mm-hmm. So out of how, however long you've been trying this, you went from probably almost terrible on the one side to how good. Like, so I can tell kids, like, no, no, no,
2: no, no, <laughs> Bruce Bruce Mao and their team, they actually do this uh, for, for body health. But how good can you get? Like, I mean, it wasn't necessarily for body health. That's not what we were,
4: were kind of looking at, I guess. We were just trying to, to see if it was something that we would be able to adapt to. And it, it does obviously take a long time because we walked curled for however many years to like focus on that one side of sweeping. So you're going to be so much stronger on that one side. So I pro- I probably went from like, pretty bad to like bad like it, it, it didn't get like amazing um no it's just nice to like try new things in curling i've not tried curling left-handed yet so maybe that's the next thing to try <laughs> i went from pretty bad to bad yeah. that's, that's that's well said uh one thing
0: i want to talk to you about is length of love event um we just watched uh nick and uh, and brad gushu uh play 15 games at mm-hmm. the worlds that's a lot uh yeah. and uh Tabitha was uh Peterson was saying so she played I think sixteen in the in the bubble, yeah, oh man, that's a lot of games um yes, yeah. uh, can we not is there any way that you've thought of where we can maybe crown our champions a
4: little bit quicker, you know <laughs> it was actually a conversation at dinner last night that we had that like as a kind of chat we thought about maybe combining the men's and the women's like world championships just to see if that would work which would probably make the event even longer but then you're probably not playing as many games because you know the schedule would just be it would make the schedule longer and then it would hopefully have like a really good crowd at this one event rather than you know vegas it, it looked like it was busy but it didn't like fill the stadium. So it would be really nice to start to see like these stadiums fill up with crowds again. Like going back to your days, like we used to watch The Briar and used to have like loads of people there. And that was amazing to watch. So it would be really nice to kind of see that again. And probably not having 13 teams at the World Championships is the only way to solve not playing 15 games. But yeah, maybe going back to the kind of 10 or 12 team system and then like hopefully playing a few less games in those kind of world championships. Yeah, what I'm
0: concerned about is the curler and 15 games, and now Brad and Nick just played Sunday night, caught a red eye, and now they're here playing right away here again just, yeah. a, just a few hours after they got done in Vegas, and now and play here. And then when they're done, the ones that made the mixed doubles are scooting off to Geneva yeah. to play 10, 15 games. And then yeah, possibly, after yeah. that, they fly back to Calgary to play the, the Champions Cup. I think important that we, we somehow get these events Shorter, whatever way it needs to be done. So uh, maybe cutting back on the field. Can we split the field in two? It'd be unfortunate if if yeah. you guys and Nick are on opposite sides. We don't get to see you play until the playoffs. hopefully. Yeah. You know what I mean. You get your the big dogs, and you want them to. Those are big games. That yeah, we love yeah, watching. Totally. You know. So your thoughts on that at all? Because I just don't know the answer. But I'd love to ask all of you that are yeah. at the top of our game, because it's just too many games for your guys. Uh, for a couple of reasons. Marketing. Mm-hmm. You're spending too much time on one event. Yeah. You've got to get to other markets. Yeah. From a business but well, my business brain uh, says it's, it's
4: you can't spend two weeks in the market. I just don't understand. Yeah, that's true. I think like as you said, it's like splitting the, the draw and having like two sides maybe six or seven and then creating that kind of championship pool. So then the, the big teams do end up playing each other. It would probably still lead to the same amount of games, I'm thinking, if you're playing it that way. But yeah, it's definitely a tough one because as you said, the schedule is now, it's crazy. I like Bobby's playing here. Uh, he's then going to the, the Mixed doubles with Eve in Geneva And then he's going to come back out and play with us In the Champions Cup So he's got a long, um, kind of four weeks Of a lot of sweeping as well So yeah, he's going to have to really look after himself Yeah, I think that's it's Definitely something that we're, we're going to have to start Looking into soon because the, the Schedule is getting pretty hectic
0: Yeah, uh, one thing I want to talk to you before I let you go Is the, uh, the dick rule that was Played in the women's worlds mm-hmm. and the men's worlds We're playing it here as well, mm-hmm. uh, but you haven't played Yet as as we as we tape this, um, your
2: thoughts on it? Have you seen it effective in the game, mm-hmm. either positively or negatively? Your your thoughts. Um, I quite liked it actually. I actually thought that it made
4: for good viewing. I think it obviously adds more stress to the teams that are playing it. But why does that necessarily have to be a bad thing? The one thing that like obviously the tick has become the staple for all the leads. Like they're just so good at it now. It is a shame that it's become like they've like worked so hard to make this kind of talent and then all of a sudden it's just changed. But, you know, as a spectator I was really enjoying watching it at the the World Championships and I'm actually excited to see what happens with it this week and I'm expecting that I'm gonna have to make a a few tough shots if we're going down um you know, where Peel's going down the last end and we're not allowed to tick, then I'm probably not gonna have like the eight foot to draw to. I'm gonna have to play some sort of a A tough hit or a run back or a really precise draw to the one foot so you know as a as a player as well i am actually quite excited to to see how it it, it unfolds but i was really happy to see it um kind of come in and trialed at the world championships because it it did make for good viewing
0: you know it's funny how the game changes and why we need to keep evolving our sport Mm -hmm. there's a guy steve gould played with Jeff Stoughton. Yep. And his nickname was the Tick Man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so he started, he started the Tick Shot. Yeah. And uh, Jeff, or I'm not sure who started, it was Jeff who figured it out and Steve just got good at it. Right. Whatever, whatever, <laughs> It is a long time ago. And they played across the face. Oh, okay. And now he was a kind of a dead roll, and that, that's how everybody did it to start with. I remember trying that. Out. He was a tick man, and I'll bet he made 30% of them. Like, it was just such a hard shot then, and and it was special. But now it's not special, it's actually just a piece of your defense.
4: Yeah. I remember, like, watching, like, I was kind of coming through the ranks. I was watching the World Championships, and then everyone was calling it the Weagle. Um, so, like, Lisa obviously became really good at it, and they would play it in ends that weren't necessarily like the last few ends. They would play it quite early on in the game. So, you know, it definitely has adapted from uh, Steve playing it way back and then Lisa obviously playing it. And like every single lead has uh, got to play it at some point and they've all become amazing at it. So I guess that's what's brought on this rule. And uh, yeah, I'm just as a player, I'm quite excited to see what happens with it this week.
0: Well, good luck this week. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you.
1: Okay, there it is. Bruce Mowat, uh thank you, uh, Kev, for li- lining that up. Wh- what do you take away, Kevin, from that interview, what Bruce had to say? Well, there's
0: lots, actually. Uh, Bruce, really smart, smart young person who's going to be winning at our sport for a very long time. So you brought up a point earlier that, you know, maybe this is the person who takes the bull by the horns. I don't know if Bruce wants to do that, but I do know that he should be involved. He should be very involved or a member of his team should be very involved. One thing, though, that he talked about was bringing the men's and women's worlds back together again. And and that was an interesting point, and I, I know I really enjoyed uh, in 19. 19- Ninety-seven, when uh, Sandra Schmirler's team and our team uh, played in the burn worlds together and uh, it was, it was wonderful. So, you know, I, I thought that, that, that made some sense, but I'm not sure it's all that simple, Warren.
3: No, it's kind of complicated. And if we look back into history, initially the men's worlds and women's worlds were totally independent of each other and they were each 10 teams. And that continued on up until 1989. And uh, some interesting things happened in 1988-89 and the fact that the financial circumstances of both the men's and women's championship, which of course was then the World Curling Federation, was such that to continue to operate both those events, they were going to have to be pulled together. So in 1989, for the first time, the men's and women's worlds were combined in of an interesting location, Milwaukee. And I still remember that great big old building of the basketball teams that was, uh, was vacated because they'd moved into new facilities. It had about 18,000 seats in it. And uh, needless to say, it was usually a few hundred people there. Anyway, that was the history of how that all started. And that continued on that way until about 2002, 2003. Ford came in as the title sponsor of that event in 1995. And from 1995 until 2003, the event was being held in Canada, probably about on the average one year out of every three. So around 2003, Ford put up their hand and said, this is Ford of Canada that's financing this, yet we're going to Europe, we're going to the USA, and those divisions of Ford operate pretty independent of us. So we're spending the money out of this. We're not always getting the benefit that we feel we should. So I think it was at that point they said, after 2004, we're going to... Uh, leave the sponsorship situation There was another problem coming up in the horizon as well for world curling and that was Asia and the fact that at that point in time Asia had one entry in the 10 team world championships and they were getting to the point where they were getting strong enough to have two So that was the other challenge that was being uh, Faced was increasing the number of teams, which is with a combined event to go beyond the 10 teams would become pretty unwielding So, in discussion with Ford, and I was very involved in this thing, uh, we got Ford to agree the fact that if uh, either the men's or women's worlds as a separate event was held in Canada annually, they would continue as the title sponsor. At the same time, increasing the number of teams to 12 would allow more of a presence from Asia in the World Championships. So, in 2005, for the first time, the men's and women's were split until 2017, when all of a sudden they decided that they were going to withdraw from the title sponsor of the one-year men's worlds in Canada and the other year women's worlds. And so that opened up a whole new situation as far as what the future might look like. From my point of view, I think probably Bruce is right. The world championship needs to go back to probably 10 teams, men, 10 teams, women, and probably yeah, run them together And of course, what needs to come behind that is a B division and probably a C division with uh, 10 nations in each one of those events, and again, people move up and down the ladder. However, there is some reluctance for that to happen because that means that Europe would probably end up having a couple of fewer teams, maybe even three fewer teams in a world championship with 10 teams in it. They have a huge amount of voting power at the World Federation level. And so far have not really felt warm and fuzzy about that whole thing, but it's another real in-depth discussion that probably has to take place somewhere along the line as to how the World Curling Federation gets things in order to look like other international sports.
1: So it's split now the world's women's and the world's men's. And if you're Ford sponsoring both of those and say you get a million viewers or I don't know, you know, for the sake of numbers, if you put them together, Warren, will it double the amount of viewers?
3: No, I mean it's going to be it's, it's going to be the same number of viewers. But I think the whole efficiency of the whole thing, and I think the overall impact that the event can have, will be in Greece, increased dramatically. In the women's worlds. The other thing I suppose it does right now, when it goes outside of Canada, it does allow the World Federation to put that event into smaller nations because it's not it's not a big event on its own outside of Canada at all. And, of course, once you combine them, this is another problem probably that exists, is how many countries are going to be in a position to host that combined event. But to some degree, it's kneecapping the World Curling Federation right now with sponsorship. I I see now that they've got, uh, they now have a sponsor that's taking on the world men's or women's outside of Canada. But to get a sponsor in there long going and sponsors that are going to really tie themselves to the event, you probably can't be shifting it every year. It needs to look the same. And I think that's another challenge that they're probably facing with the
1: current system. Right. Speaking of sponsorship, Kevin and Warren, uh, when we talked to Tabitha, you had brought that up, Kevin, about how you get sponsors. She was a little winded by it saying, yeah, we don't get, we don't get much. We get a little bit of Olympic money, not much. When you asked Bruce Mowat, Kevin, the same thing, he was like, they're throwing cash at us. He, he, he said, we got all kinds of cash, we get paid for our travel, we get to keep our prize money, all the funding is, is they've got tons of it. Uh, he was quite happy with their sponsorship, completely different than other countries. What's Britain doing, Kev, that, that all the <laughs> well, other countries aren't?
0: I don't know if they're throwing money at them,
1: (laughs) but he was certainly happy with it,
0: you know? Yes. Well, one thing about it with Bruce right now is they're winning everything and that matters when you, when you're winning and keeping all that prize money and all your expenses are covered. I I did not ask Bruce, so I don't, I don't know exactly what they're getting each player per month, but, but some sort of a living wage, all expenses paid. And then of course, Bruce's team, they, they win a, a lot. So, uh. And then of course, when you win, sponsors like to come on board right? because, you know, you want to be on a winning train. So yeah, right now, um, Team Mowat looks really good uh, in, in so many ways, um, not just on the ice, but their business plan off the ice looks pretty good too.
1: Right. The other thing, Kev, I wanted to ask you about, I didn't, I didn't realize this. You guys were talking about working out uh, in the gym and I, I kind of overlooked this, but you brought up the point that, that physically Curling is not a symmetrical sport. It's not like lifting weights where both sides of your body got to have the same strength. You you had mentioned, Kevin, that when they do work out, you're going to work one side of your body a little more than the other.
0: Well, at certain times of the year, yeah, especially at the end of the year, after uh, uh, Bruce mentioned he takes a, some time off completely. On, I thought it was ten days; I forget, but but mm-hmm. a, a reasonable amount of time, completely off. Then you need to body balance uh, because curling is such a, a one-sided sport. Be it a sweeper, mm-hmm. always sweeping on one side, building that lat and that whole shoulder area so much. Whereas uh, um, the skip, like you know, likely has thrown so many rocks during the winter that the one hip and curling, you know, hips are definitely a uh, you know, a part of uh, the curling body that tend to break down. So you need to be able to build those up even, and that takes a couple of months, uh, early summer to, to body balance before you start to build muscle again. And that is something that, you know, obviously the Scottish federation is really looking at it. the athletes coming out of Scotland are very, very fit.
1: Warren, I'm getting very confused about how to work out. So I just don't do it.
0: <laughs> that's probably a good decision, Joe. <laughs> you can't that's- hurt yourself if you don't move,
1: Jimmy. No, exactly. Yeah. Stay in one spot. That's, yeah. I do the Ironman, Kev. It's like a crossword puzzle. Uh, and then the next round is a is a drink and the and the third leg is sitting in a chair for five minutes. Okay. That's my Ironman <laughs> or triathlon. Uh, Good stuff, Kevin, that was great. This is the last in our series of special editions with these four interviews that you did. Thank you again to Jennifer Jones and Eve Mirahead and Tabitha Peterson, and of course, Bruce Mowat. And a big thank you to our sponsors, Coyote Tractor, Goldline Curling Equipment, Nestle Boost, Meridian Manufacturing. Uh, they've been with us a long time now, and uh, we really appreciate their support. And we really appreciate all you people listening. I'm not going to get fired, am I, Kevin? I'm trying to think back all the, over the shows. Am I going to be okay? <laughs> I think you're okay, Jimmy. Uh, no, you'll let that out of the bag. Oh we didn't God. tell him. No, no I'm, I'm not going to sleep <laughs> all summer. Take, take, take it easy, boys. Uh, Kevin, we'll talk to you later. Warren, thanks a lot. We'll see you guys down the road. <laughs> thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, Jim.